The first time you sell a gun is a lot like the first time you have sex. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing, but it is exciting and, one way or another, it's over way too fast. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie that at least one of us has never seen before. We are in week four of Cagepalooza 2020. This is episode number 76. Our movie this week was 2005's Lord of War, and joining me because he had never seen it before is Rishi. How you doing, Rishi? Hey there, doing all right. How are you, Travis? Oh, not too bad. So you hadn't seen this one before. Had you heard of it before I mentioned it to you? Uh, I think I maybe have heard it somewhere in the pantheon of le- somewhat legit Nick Cage movies. Okay. And, uh, yeah, that's about as much as I heard. Didn't know anything about the plot at all. All right. Uh, so I'll give a quick rundown of the plot for folks watching. Um, again, no restraint on spoilers because we're discussing the damn movie. So deal with that. Uh, Nick Cage plays Yuri Olav. Uh Orlev, sorry, Orlov. He is a Ukrainian-born American arms dealer. And uh, basically the plot of the movie is him um, telling the story of kind of his life and how he got into arms dealing and and whatnot with his brother, Vitaly. Uh, He meets his childhood crush, uh, Ava Fontaine, and marries her. He is pursued by a rather ambitious Interpol agent played by Ethan Hawke. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, that's sort of the plot is him selling guns to anyone and everyone. He has no scruples. He has no, I'm going to take sides in this or anything like that. Um, right. And, and that's what he does. But Nicholas Cage obviously is the, the star and the centerpiece of the movie. And uh, I kind of want to start with him. He's really good in this. Yeah. Um, he, so few things number one i'm glad that both now he co-produced this as well um okay so he did he was a producer um worked and uh worked closely i think with the writer director andrew nickel who we'll talk about in a little bit but somewhere along the line the decision was made not to deal with accents and i'm really glad that that happened because i think if he was trying to do any kind of now granted the way the story was written he came to the u.s as a child so having uh an Eastern European accent wouldn't work very well, but I'm really glad that they didn't try that. Yeah. Yeah. The moment they introduced that he introduced himself as Yuri, uh, Olav, did you say it was? Orlov. Orlov. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, movie, please step on the brakes, step on the brakes. I do not want an accented Nick Cage in this. And then thankfully they did it. So yeah, I'm, I'm also glad of that. Yeah. Um, neither him or his brother, Vitaly, played by Jared Leto, had uh, accents. And that was the the right decision to make. Um, yeah. Their parents did, but that makes sense. Their parents came from the Ukraine in the 70s. They would still have their accent. So, uh, and and their parents were played by, uh, I'm not even going to try it. I, I'm just going to butcher those yeah. names, but they're, they're not actors <laughs> I've seen in anything else. Um, and right. they were, they were fine. I, I did like the kind of running gag with, um, they came to the States from the Ukraine and one way to in the seventies kind of stay off the Soviet radar more was to be Jewish. So they adopted a Jewish last name of Orlov and their, their father Anatoly really embraced it. Right. So I kind of liked that. That was a, a fun little, little mini subplot that they had where like the dad was really Jewish and really trying to be Jewish and went to temple and read his, read the book, love the hat that I think it was my favorite part. He's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like it. I like the hat. Uh, one thing, I don't know if, if this bothered you as much Travis, but it seemed like the dad was, if not the same age, maybe just a couple years older than Nick Cage. I don't know if that was quite balanced out well. Yeah, so that I, I have noticed the more Nick Cage movies I watch, the more that seems to happen, where he's playing okay. characters that are younger than he looks. And okay. it's it's sort of the Hollywood thing where like the guys are always older than you'd think, and usually you know the significant others, the, the female characters, are typically going to be a, a lot younger actor than the male lead. Yeah. 
which again happened here. But yeah, you're right. Nicolas Cage and his father in this didn't look like they were more than 10 years apart. Right. But, you know, I mean, it worked. So in, in the story, the story spans from the 80s through to 2001 uh, is when it when we kind of end. Um, sort of the life of Yuri Orlov and his brother and family. Um, but yeah, Nick Cage, I liked the restraint that he showed in his performance in this, where he was, he had a couple of moments where he was being Nick Cage and kind of getting to play a little bit, much more than I've seen the last, certainly than last week's movie, Pay the Ghost, where he was very um, subdued. And even Ghost Rider was fairly, uh, fairly laid back for Nicolas Cage. This was another of the laid back type of performance, but it was a good performance. Um, I, I thought he was believable as somebody who just had no scruples. And really, Yuri is not a good guy at right. all. Like he's he's right. the protagonist of this story. He is not a hero or the the good guy at all. Yeah, I also like this Nick Cage that we got here. I like a a movie that embraces Nick Cage and kind of. I don't know if this is a uh, backhanded compliment, but he has a kind of um, comedicness about him that even in a serious movie, you just can't avoid. So I'm glad that they embraced him kind of uh, narrating the movie. I hope that was all part of the production and always planned was having him kind of narrate and everything. Cause I thought that brought kind of a, a nice little color to the movie, despite it's like kind of serious themes and natures that it was touching on. Oh, absolutely. No, that, that now I have talked on this show a few times about a dislike for narration when it's used incorrectly. Um, Mm -hmm. the ones I like to cite were Blade Runner's narration. I felt like after seeing the, the cuts that Ridley Scott liked more and taking that narration out fit better. Um, this was a story. I think that the narration and that voiceover work really served uh, a good purpose. Number one, giving lots of background and lots of insight into Yuri. But also, you're right, it helped the tone because yeah. the subject matter is awful, right? This dude just gets weapons however he can and will sell them to anyone, warlords, people that are he knows they're being used for terrible things. He doesn't care. Right. So to have then sort of a, a tongue in, almost tongue-in-cheek kind of voiceover going on as he's explaining things helps to lighten the tone but also kind of drive the point home at the same time. Because now you're you're getting a you're getting a bit of an insight into his psyche where you realize that no he's not a good guy and he just doesn't care like all he cared about was uh, the next sale he was going to make and keeping keeping the lifestyle that he had grown accustomed to around. Yeah, and I also just think that that's the best of Nick Cage. Like even when he's talking about providing guns to armies that are potentially using his guns to like murder children. Uh, um, he he kind of has a little sarcasm as he's doing the narration and stuff. And uh, I think that's the best Nick Cage. That's the Nick Cage that I want. I want serious Nick Cage, but I also don't want him to be too serious. Don't turn into a dad, Nick Cage. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. No, I, I agree with you because it's more, you're, you're right in that he has a pretty good comedic timing and it's a very dry comedy style, right? Like that's what works yeah. for him. But it's good. That was last year. One of the um, movies that we watched was Bringing Out the Dead. And what I liked about that was it's very serious subject matter. He's a um, it's a Martin Scorsese film. He's a ca- uh, ambulance driver in New York, like an overnight ambulance driver. But he also brings he does some voiceover in that and he brings some comedy to it unintentionally at, at times. But it, it helps because Nick Cage has that ability like. Yeah. In this, he's a he's an arms dealer, so he's got a little bit of that uh, used car salesman thing. He's yeah. He knows what he's doing is wrong, but he also knows all the legal loopholes to get away with it. So all of his interactions with uh, Ethan Hawke's character are just great because he's just this oh, smarmy yeah. butthole the whole time. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You know, you think you know what you, but you have nothing on me, type of thing. Like he just knows he can get right. gets away with it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just liked him in this. Uh, the, you're right. This is, I think, the best of Nick Cage is when he's doing this. Just a little bit of humor, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but he's playing it pretty straight, and he's he's playing, he's believable as a, as a character. That's kind of where Nick Cage is at his best. Now, my favorite Nick Cage 
is Uh-oh. the is okay. the Nick Cage that you get from stuff like Vampire's Kiss or Face Off, where he's just like yeah. having fun, going crazy. He doesn't even know what he's doing. That's my favorite yeah. Nick Cage because it's so memorable. But yeah, yeah. this is the Nick Cage from Leaving Las Vegas that's winning Oscars, right? This is like the, <laughs> right, right. It's it's the proof that no Nick Nicholas Cage actually can act really well, and here's proof of it in in a movie like this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're right. The the when I think of Nick Cage, when Nick Cage uh, happens to saunter over into my brain every now and then, it's usually Face Off or uh, was it called Mandy from a couple of years ago? Mandy's Mandy. another one. Yep, that was one. Yeah, where it's just super, you know, it's super doofy. It's just you know, it's just like action movies that are just like uh, just so actiony and like just so cartoonish. And uh, so that's the Nick Cage that happens to saunter over to my brain. But yeah. uh, th- th- this is a this is a good Nick Cage. I, I like this this even leveled uh, Nick Cage. Yeah, if you want quality of film and quality of acting, this is a Nick Cage you want. If you want fun, you want the Nick Cage who would pay to have surgery done to turn himself into a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude would do that if it was possible, guaranteed. Oh, yeah. for, sure. for sure. Can you turn me into Superman? Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> how much money? I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. I'll do a few more movies. It's fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, okay. So the cast actually for this, like there's a lot of actors in this movie, but the cast is pretty small in terms of major roles. Right. So you've got, um, you got Nicolas Cage and then his wife, uh, Ava Fontaine is played by Bridget Moynihan. um, And she doesn't have, so she doesn't have a huge role in terms of screen time but she's very important to the plot because she's, she's very important to Yuri and his story. And right. she's kind of what ends up giving him up in the end. Um, I thought she was pretty good for the time that she had on screen and what she had to work with. And I think part of that was there, she has a line towards the end of the movie where she's trying to get Yuri. She's realized what Yuri does. Like she has, when they meet, it's under false pretenses. He, um, he booked her for a fake photo shoot and then bought out the hotel so that he could just spend the weekend with her and and try to woo her basically. Right. She sort of falls for it. She falls for him. They get together, flash forward a couple, couple years, they get married. However, you don't really have a time frame, but they get married and whatnot. And she spent their entire relationship knowing that probably what he does isn't perfectly legal, but doesn't want to ask the questions. So she's just content with living the life that she does. Yeah. Until she finds out that he's a gun runner. And then she's pleading with him to stop. Cause apparently, and this was kind of buried. Her parents were killed, uh, by people with like guns that were purchased illegally. Oh, Oh, I completely missed that. It's a huh. throwaway line that comes to her from Ethan Hawke. He says, you know, the, the guns that killed your parents were bought by somebody like your husband. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah. So when she finds that out, she kind of flips and she's pleading with him to stop doing it and all that. And she has this line where she talks about, you know, she's a failed actress and she's a failed artist. And all she's ever been good at is being pretty and being and basically having been born and she doesn't even know if she's good at that anymore that to me was a scene where it's like okay i can honestly understand somebody who's lived the life that she has that's a that was a a pretty powerful scene for me because of that kind of realization from her and and i think bridget moynihan did a good job yeah i thought i thought so too it's kind of hard because i think she has to do she, she basically has to move the movie forward to the inevitable conclusion you know we're watching this movie because we suspect there's a rise and a downfall of uh yuri orlov so she in the little bit that she gets on screen uh she she has to uh show show the the rise which is uh making love to nick cage who 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 can't get enough of that right that's 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 what all of us uh dream about when we're talking Absolutely. <laughs> But that she has to move forward the downfall as well, which she doesn't have a lot of time on screen to do. So I, I thought she did okay. Uh, she's also, Bridget Boyhan is also John Wick's wife. I, I didn't realize that. Uh, oh, that's right. Oh, just yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, uh, not to talk about another movie for too long, this movie reminded me a lot of War Dogs um, mm-hmm. with, with Miles Teller and uh, what's his face? Uh, Jonah, Jonah yeah, Hill. Jonah Hill, yeah. And, um, and in that movie, it's kind of a similar theme. And there's a love interest who has to show the downside of the highs when you're, uh, when you're a gun runner or if you're like part of the people who are in the business of war. Um, and I was kind of thinking about that. Like you get so small time on screen because the movie is essentially about the highs of being in the business of war. And th- these women, uh, these actors, uh, you know, who are the love interests in these movies, they have to like push forward that plot to the inevitable downfall. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought with the time she had, I thought she did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, and just a bit of trivia. Originally, Monica Bellucci was supposed to play the role of Ava. Uh, mm. But she had to back out due to scheduling conflicts. Now, one one interesting thing of note there is that Nicolas Cage, at the time this movie was made, would have been in his... He would have been about 50. No. 40. 40, 40, 41, right around there. Bridget okay, Moynihan wow. is about eight or nine years younger than him. So okay. not a terrible difference in age, although she looks yeah. a lot younger than he does. Monica yeah, Bellucci, sure. though, I think is closer to Nicolas Cage's age, if not the same age. Yeah, she's the same age as Nick Cage. So that would have been interesting. I like Monica Bellucci a lot, so I could have seen her playing that role. Um, but I thought, like I say, I just thought Bridget Moynihan did a, a fine job with, like you said, not a whole lot of screen time to do rather important parts but she did move things along pretty well yeah for sure um jared leto is in this he plays vitaly orlov uh yuri's younger brother now i will come right out and say i'm not the biggest jared leto fan however i have seen him in a few things that he's really good in this is one of them i didn't hate him in this i think part of it is that the character that he's playing is kind of the kind of douchey Right, because he's just yeah. a drug addict. Right. So it sort of worked, but he's also not on screen too much, and he's not trying too hard, I think, is is what will get me with him in some movies, where he's like okay. trying to be, because he's a method actor, right? I mean, the famous stories from him in the last few years are all the stuff he did when he was playing the Joker in Suicide right. Squad. And right. He's he's one of those guys where uh, he had a role where he was playing, what was it? I think he was playing Mark David Chapman in a in a film about John Lennon. The, that's the man that shot John Lennon. Oh. And he oh, put okay. on like 60 pounds or something to play the role, something ridiculous. Hmm. Um, I thought he was actually pretty good in this. Again, he's not on screen much, and really he doesn't have a lot to do uh, other than sort of be addicted to cocaine and then disappear for long stretches. Um, yeah. But he does have that that pretty good emotional moment. He never really wanted to get into the the arms trade in the beginning, right? He wanted to be a cook. But, you know, his older brother wants him to do it, so Vitaly's like, all right, I'll go with it. Ends up, you find out that he's got a real addictive personality and he gets hooked on cocaine uh, bad, which happened quickly in terms of the movie. But I think the what they were trying to portray there was like, that's who he was, like, he was going to get addicted to something. I just think yeah. that they didn't have a chance. They didn't have a chance to really flesh that out a whole lot, but um, he does come back for one more run with his brother, which sadly doesn't end well, but he has that kind of emotional moment where he's like, wait, we can't be doing this. Like this isn't right. So he's kind of trying to be Yuri's emotional tether. And it's almost kind of like by the end of the movie, Yuri has lost his wife and he's lost his brother and his family. So now he's going to be an even more uh, unscrupulous version of himself because he doesn't have these ties anymore, right? He's lost all his emotional yeah. um, ties to kind of humanity. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought I actually thought Jared Leto was pretty good in this. Again, not given a whole lot yeah. to do, but or at least not a lot of screen time, but his time on screen was pretty good. Yeah, I, you know, Jared Leto, uh, so I was kind of 
once again, to kind of translate this over to War Dogs from 2016, mm-hmm. the narrative of the downfall was portrayed by uh, an actress. I know I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly, but it's Anna de Armas, I think. Okay, yeah. And uh, it's a love interest. And so that's the downfall is uh, Miles Teller's character is so obsessed with guns and the business of war that um, he's not making a sweet lovey-dovey to Anna de Armas. Mm. And this movie... So there's the sweet lovey-dovey with Bridget Moynihan. And uh, so the narrative downfall is split between Bridget Moynihan and Jared Leto, uh, both of whom are being let down by Nick Cage. Yeah. Uh, wait, have, have they watched Mandy? How can you be let down by Nick Cage? Anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I, I thought Jared Leto was pretty good. This is, this is probably one of my favorite Jared Leto performances actually um the the other one that came to mind was dallas buyers club where he also played someone who is like kind of at the end of the rope on uh with substance abuse and so it kind of got me thinking wow jared leto has this ability i think it maybe it goes to the uh method acting thing that you were talking about uh, he has this ability to kind of play people at the end of the rope <laughs> i don't know like yeah. if that's he like he a does real thing to- he definitely yeah. can play a kind of unhinged. I remember him in. Did you ever see Panic Room? With um, yeah, is yeah, he in that? Yeah, he is. He's the he's one of the thieves. Um, oh, okay. And he's got horrible Foster, right? Yeah, he's got these terrible yeah. cornrows throughout the entire entire oh, movie. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah. that was another one of those movies that I actually liked him in because I liked the way he was playing the character. I think for me, that's that's the thing with Jared Leto is if he's he's such a method actor and he gets so into whatever character he's playing that if it's something like the Joker where that character is already kind of outlandish and he tries to take it to an 11, it doesn't work for me. But when he's doing something like this, where he's playing basically just a cokehead with kind of, kind of the cokehead with a heart of gold um, at the yeah. end, it worked okay for me because I kind of felt like there was some redemption. It, it was heartbreaking for, you know, Yuri comes to him, and comes to Vitaly and says, hey, I need you to come with me one more time. And he's like, man, I don't want to. I've got a girlfriend now. Yeah. I want to start my own restaurant. Like, he right. doesn't want to, but it's his brother. And he can't say no yeah. to his brother this one last time. And it's going to get him some money to kind of help field, fuel his dreams. And then he gets there, and he's having yep. more second thoughts. And he doesn't want to do it because he knows what these guns are about to get used for. And so yeah. he goes out in a blaze of glory. He has one final stand. Uh and sadly doesn't make it through the movie. But yeah, I like Jared Leto in this. So, yeah, you know, yeah. he did a lot with, again, with a, a small amount of screen time. I also thought For it was sure. hilarious that he did a, he was going to do a line of Coke in the shape of Ukraine. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That was funny. And then Nick Cage, you just wiped it away. What's wrong right. with you, Nick Cage? Come on, take was, a picture first, at least. That was a lot of money he just wiped off that table. <laughs> um, our other kind of main uh, actor... And again, didn't have a lot of screen time, did a decent amount with what he had, and I love is Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted more Ethan Hawke in this. Me too. It, interestingly, the um, the IMDb kind of one-sentence uh, summary of this movie is, an arms dealer confronts the morality of his work as he's being chased by an Interpol agent. That doesn't tell the story of what this movie actually is at all, because... Yes, he's being chased by the Interpol agent, but it's literally three scenes, right? right? He he chases him down on the boat in the beginning, which was a really cool scene, by the way, when they're they're on that big ship and they're changing the name of the, regi- yeah. the name and all the registration. He shows yeah. up for that. He shows up when he's in Sierra Leone and puts the plane down, and then he catches him at the end. It's he doesn't have a ton of screen time, but I again, it's Ethan Hawke. I love him in everything he's done. I've loved Ethan Hawke since I saw him in White Fang when I was like. 10 years old and um, I thought that he did a good job with what he had because they portrayed him and one of the voiceovers from Nick Cage right away is like he wants to catch me but he won't do anything illegal to do it right he won't he won't cross that line so that was a, a fun kind of character trait for him and I thought it made it really interesting now you know, there's there's trivia and goose for this movie that talk about the fact that Interpol agents have no arresting authority. They can't actually arrest people. Oh, um, oh okay. The, the way Interpol works is it's actually, it's more or less a, 
a way to coordinate and gather information for international internationally for all the police. So oh. an Interpol agent would work with United States authorities and British authorities to help get somebody in Britain, or they'd help to get somebody in, you know, Sierra Leone by working with the local authorities there type of thing. But they don't actually have the authority to arrest anyone themselves. Whatever, it's a movie, you can hand wave that away. Um, yeah, I don't mind. Because yeah. it's sort of an alternate world anyway. But right. I liked his tenacity, and I liked the fact that he was he was unflinching, and I'm not going to cross the line. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm going to get you the right way. And in the end, it doesn't work out for him. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and also, the uh, you were saying that you wanted more Ethan Hawke. Um, that is the kind of the large negative I would give this movie is um, I think they were splitting the narrative downfall of Nicolas Cage between Bridget Moynihan, Jared Leto, and Ethan Hawke. But Ethan Hawke's character really is the one you care about because as the one sentence movie description you were talking about, uh, Nicolas Cage is a, is a gun runner who's being chased by an Interpol agent. That is like literally the the point of the movie is Nick Cage is is being attempted to be brought down by Ethan Hawke's character. Yeah. But really, all we got is these little confrontations. We don't really get any explanation of why Ethan Hawke is so tenacious and bringing down Ethan Hawke, uh, bringing down Nick Cage, other than that's just the explanation of Ethan Hawke's character. He's a very tenacious Interpol agent. That's right. that's that's all the explanation we get. Yeah, I like I say, I would have liked more of him because I think if you structure this movie more of not quite a cat and mouse between the two of them, but at least more of that, here's this yeah. guy and he knows what this dude is doing and he's trying to catch him. He's trying to, to he's trying to find the paper trail. So, you know, give me some more of like Ethan Hawke trying to find more information. They have one scene where he's going through his garbage from his house, which yeah. whatever. Nick Cage, and, you know, Yuri's not going to have stuff in his own home garbage he's too good for that so you know it he eventually finds the the shipping container where he's storing all of his stuff but that was only because uh because bridget moynihan finds it right by following him so you're right i would have liked more of that kind of chase aspect of it and give me more background on uh this interpol agent and why he wants these gun riders taken down um right like, catch me if you can, you know? Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks and Leo were, like, the whole movie, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Something like that, yeah. So, yeah, that's my... I and Let's talk about that right now. My only real criticism is the same as yours. It's the, the movie feels disjointed in, like, the direction that it wants to go. It's like it's trying to tell a couple of different stories at once, and it just need, it needed to pick one or two of them as plot threads to go down. So if it's going to be Vitaly, let it be Vitaly and maybe barely mention the wife. Or if it's going to be Ava, yeah. let it be Ava and, and mix that with uh, Interpol agent um, Ethan Hawke, whose name I can't think of as his character. Um, yeah. And then you had the other subplot of Ian Holm, who we haven't even talked about yet, playing Simeon Weiss. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Who, who, again, somebody I adore and is... I, I want to say he's good in this, but he's not in it for long enough. He doesn't do anything. He's very one note. He's in a couple of scenes and that's it. Like that was a, yeah. a plot thread that never got, he's sort of almost the chick in the bucket of this movie to steal a phrase from um, film sack in that he's <laughs> in the beginning of the movie. And then you just forget about him for quite a while. And then he pops up somewhere else and then he's gone again. And then he gets killed off. Yeah. Yeah. It was very underused Ian home. Uh, incredible. Uh, he's Bilbo Baggins, for those of you who uh, don't know who Ian Holm is. Um, yeah, very under... And it, kind of the same thing. I, I agree with you that that's the negative I would give this movie is even though I like the story, um, I like I liked we're watching Nick Cage be a successful gun runner who's trying to balance all these uh, plates, his family. He's trying to not die as he's giving guns to uh, warlords and stuff like that. That, that story is good, but, um, you know, we're being led to believe that Ian Holm uh, wants to, like, destroy Nick Cage's business, and Ethan Hawke is chasing after Nick Cage because of this tenacious need to end all gun runnery forever. Mm -hmm. And there's 
no background story of that at all displayed in the movie other than an explanation of that provided by Nick Cage in the narrative. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it just felt very repetitive to me after a while where we're kind of seeing Nick Cage be successful. And really that narrative downfall isn't really coming in until about an uh, hour, hour and a half or so into the movie where all of a sudden um, Nick Cage randomly has to kill Ian Holm randomly. Yeah. Uh, so that you know? was going to be my complaint is they want to make it seem as though Ian Holm and Nick Cage are these rivals, right? But they only give us him meeting him at a, at a weapons conference and getting snubbed. Yeah. And then several, several years later, Ian Holm shows up in Ukraine to try and buy weapons from Nick Cage's uncle. Uh, when, when uncle Dimitri won't do it, he blows his car up. So that's all we get as far as those two being rivals. Other than that, the character of Simeon Weiss is barely mentioned, and yet it's a huge. It's supposed to be this huge turning point in the narrative of Nick Cage being mostly forced to, but also not putting up much of a fight in killing Ian Holm, right? Because at this yeah. point, Nick Cage, uh, Yuri hasn't killed anyone. Like he, right? Um, but he does here, and it's supposed to be like this really hard hitting emotional moment. It didn't hit me that yeah, hard because exactly. I don't, I don't care about this character that he just killed because I haven't seen enough of him. Yeah. He killed uncle Dimitri. Okay. But still like, what's that? You yeah. Know? Why? Right. I, uh, and just a quick note, I, I did kind of like some of the effects in this movie. It wasn't like a super CGI or effects heavy movie necessarily, but uh, the, the dead Ian Ho who got shot in the head, uh, I thought that was a pretty cool effect. Yeah, even though that I worked. didn't really know why I needed to care about a Duddy in home, I thought it was a cool effect. Yeah, visually, this movie was really good. I love. Okay, yeah. so we haven't talked about it yet. I want to talk about it right now. The opening sequence. Yes. Yes. So the movie yep. starts off with this really awesome panning tracking shot along just this almost like parking lot full of shell casings and it comes up behind and you see it's it's yuri standing there and he turns around and addresses the camera and says something to the effect of in fact i captured it um but and he says this let's see um this is this is the opening line of the movie there are over 550 million firearms in worldwide circulation that's one firearm for every 12 people on the planet the only question is How do we arm the other 11? And then it goes into the opening credit sequence, which is yeah. kind of the life of a bullet, right? Which was um, uh, a combination of POV camera and some CG. And I love that opening. That opening is a really yeah. cool thing. Um, it's just a neat visual way to kind of get into the story. It's one of my favorite kind of opening credit sequences in a movie, actually. For sure. I mean, it wasn't very long. It's probably a minute half, maybe tops. Uh, it's it's not very long, and they they were able to kind of bring you into like what this movie is about so succinctly. It was mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, so I really I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the look overall of the movie. You mentioned uh, the Ian Holm and kind of the special effects of that. There was um, the the look of the plane landing on the the highway or the road in Sierra uh, Leone. Yeah, that looked really good. It was silly right. and like the the amount of carnage left in the wake of that should have been so terrible <laughs> yeah. like there should have been body right. parts everywhere for sure but it looked you know it was shot well the the scenery that they had the locations that they shot at were just gorgeous yeah yeah um, yeah that was really cool um and, and uh, i don't know if you had further notes on locations but another cool effect that i enjoyed was uh um so it was like very early on when he had just started the uh, gun running business. They did this kind of like slow-mo thing where he was watching one of his guns that he just sold get fired. And he was mm-hmm. like loving that. And they had the, instead of the sound of the gun firing as the bullets were going, they had a cash register. And, uh, I thought that was a really cool effect. Yeah, that was great. Cheesy, yeah. cheesy, yes, but but it fit the tone that they were going for. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. Um kind of getting back to what I was saying about like too many plot threads and not enough kind of, there wasn't, there was a lot of bones and not enough meat on those bones. 
mm-hmm. was again i just think if you if you trim down the story to a couple of those so if you want Simeon Vice to be a main part of it, let him be a main part of it. Or if you want it to be Ethan Hawke, let that happen. I just think you're taking away from everything else and kind of hurting. Like that's what makes this sort of a a B B plus movie for me, as opposed to um, you know an A. Like a, this is a sort of six and a half out of ten. I would say it's good. I really yeah. like the movie, but I also see how where where in places it could be better and give me more yeah Um, yeah for sure um because like you know uh, i don't know why this is the movie that's coming to mind but like gross point blank uh john cusack is our hero and uh uh dan Aykroyd is our bad guy and we know that from the beginning throughout the entire movie Mm -hmm. dan Aykroyd is the bad guy in this uh, you're kind of almost given like three bad guys. Like, is it going to be his wife uh, kind of figuring stuff out? Is it going to be the Bilbo Baggins? Is he going to, you know, leave the Shire and then bring Nick Cage down? Uh, yeah. Is it going to be Ethan Hawke chasing after him? Like, there's just too many bad guys that the movie is trying to kind of hit you with. And yeah, it's, it's just exactly, I think what you said is perfect. Uh, lots of bones, not enough meat on those bones. Yeah, and, and I get in some ways where it's kind of more true to life to have, like, he's got a rival in the arms-dealing business, and he's got law enforcement after him, and he's having problems at home, and he's having problems with his family and all of this. So I get that. You can you can come at it with the aspect of, like, well, it's more true to life. He's got all this stuff going on. Yes, that might be, but that doesn't necessarily make for a better story. I want a better story. I want something that's going to be more compelling and make me care about the characters that I'm seeing on screen. When your emotional right. high, your emotional low point is supposed to be that he's forced by a warlord to kill his rival with one of his own guns, and that's supposed to have a huge emotional impact. And instead, I'm kind of left with like, you know, well, I'm bummed because it's Ian Holm, but I don't care about this character at all. Right. And it's hard to be sympathetic to a character like Yuri as well because he's. As I mentioned, he's the protagonist, but he's not the hero. Like, he's not a good guy at all. And in some ways, that sort of makes the ending to the movie a little darker because he doesn't get his comeuppance, right? Like, he gets away with it in the end. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think this ended up being like a message movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, definitely. Which is, which is cool. But, you know, when you kind of think about other message movies... Um, like you have a, I don't know, just to go kind of back to it, you have a very clear, uh, villain, you know, um, I don't know, like, thank you for not smoking, you know, from the beginning that it's a message movie. So you expect the message as you're watching the movie in this, you're kind of, you kind of have a good guy, protagonist and antagonist. That's the way the movie is like setting it up. But it turns out that the point of the movie was to see that Nick Cage gets away with it in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, look at all the things he's lost. Well, then then make it... Don't give me the whole protagonist-antagonist uh, kind of thing from the beginning. Uh, give me more Jared Leto and Bridget Moynihan so then I feel the loss when he loses them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because... You know, to have to have a tally there, and he's super important, right? That's the first person he wants to have with him in this business, and then he just drops him off at rehab and forgets about him for how like literally it's years yeah. later when he shows back up, right? Right. You know, and then he shows back up. He's still having problems, so he just takes him back to rehab, and we forget about him for many years. And then it's suddenly you're the only one I trust. I need you with me. Like it takes the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It takes the teeth out of that uh, that whole whole brotherly relationship. So yeah. yeah. I agree with you on that. Um, so writer director of this was Andrew Nichol. And if that name isn't familiar, you might have, might have seen, he did a couple other movies. Um, he wrote and directed Gattaca in 1997. Oh, okay. Um, he wrote and directed Simone in 2002. Um, oh yeah. And then he did, uh, he wrote the story for the terminal with Tom Hanks the year before this movie, he wrote and directed this, then he didn't do anything for a few years, and he did one with uh, Justin Timberlake called In Time, which I never saw but had an interesting premise oh. to it. 
Yeah, yeah. I never saw that out there. Um, he's been continuing to work. He did uh, The Host, which was based on the Stephanie Meyer novel, um, the not Twilight Stephanie Meyer novel. Uh, he wrote and directed okay. that. So, but Gattaca and, uh, oh, and he also wrote The Truman Show. Oh, He was, he was wow. a writer of that in 98. Um, Man, this guy's solid. So he's had a pretty solid career, and and I think yeah. a lot of them are that same sort of thing where it's like it's three quarters of a great movie, so you get a good movie out of it, but it's it needs like that one tweak or those couple of different things to just push it over the edge and make it something so much more. Like I think Lord of War, with the tweaks we're talking about, is a movie that people are still talking about and and know about 15 years later as opposed to... You can tell I, a lot of people have never heard of this one. Now it yeah. was it was a box office bomb. Um, it okay. had roughly a fifty million dollar budget. Do you want to take a guess as to how much it made in the U.S. total? Wow! It was uh, in theaters for. I'll, I'll let you know. It was in theaters for seven weeks. Oh, okay. I'm gonna guess thirty-five. No, twenty-five. Just wow. over just over twenty four, and it had a nine million dollar opening weekend. So wow. it just died on the vine. It made about seventy two worldwide. So huh. yeah, you know um, this is really fascinating to me because this guy is so solid, and he wrote movies that stick with me to this day: uh, Gattaca and Truman Show, and um, even The Terminal to some extent, uh, with the kind of heart that it had. Um, and, but the Truman show and Gattaca, uh, terminal and even Simone, they all kind of were like message movies, but the message mm-hmm. was very like, kind of, was it in your face? And I wonder if that's where, uh, you know, 2005 is when Lord of War comes out and we're in the heat of like Iraq war and stuff. So I wonder if maybe they were just pushing the message too hard and kind of lost the wheels of like trying to make a story as opposed to making a uh, dramatized message. I wonder if that's where... That could be, because one of the things I was reading about with this movie was they couldn't get any United States financing because of mm. the um, the illusions and the, the outright saying that like the U.S. profits off a of war. So they uh, had to get a lot of international financing. So that could have turned a lot of people off to it as sort of word yeah. of mouth. I can see that happening. And it's unfortunate mm. because, again, it's a solid movie, and I think it's... It's, sure. If if anything, more poignant now than it was 15 years ago when it came out. Absolutely. And that's, that was another one of those things that I think they could have pushed more was the idea that – because re- really, if, if you think about it, if you're not paying attention or it's your first time seeing it, I guess here would be the question for you. Right up until he gets caught, did you think about that lieutenant – Colonel that he mentioned early on, because he mentions that character, the the guy that shows up and basically tells Ethan Hawke's character, uh, "You got to let him go," and walks him out to his car. You never see his face, right? It's it's uh, oh. like Lieutenant Colonel Ollie Southern or something like that, right? Um, but and it's supposed to be um, like a, a kind of based on Oliver North, okay, um, but. Did you think about him at all until it suddenly got mentioned right at the end of the movie? No. And, uh, well, I think this is what, what you're uh, getting at is I had to, when they, cause the way that they kind of filmed this character, they never show his face. They always mm-hmm. kind of do this. I, I, I guess maybe only two or three times he, they show him in the movie. Don't show his face, but they do this kind of top down view mm-hmm. of him so you could see all the badges and stuff on his uh on his uh, uh uniform yeah and i was like wait so who's this character <laughs> oh right we're doing that camera angle that we did for the one other time or the two other times that they show him uh yeah. okay so he's the lieutenant guy that nick cage is sort of getting uh treated by from the u.s government okay i had to like do that mental gymnastics yeah uh, while they're setting that up and that was something where i wish that they could have kind of made that more of a plot point because he he mentions him yeah. right at the beginning. One of the first people he talks to is like, and it's said kind of in passing with like, it's it's when he's first setting up buying um, a bunch of the uh, U.S. surplus military that was left in Beirut. 
Mm-hmm. And then he's selling it back to this guy. So that's the first time he shows up, and then you don't hear about him. So he's he's more of the chick in the bucket even than Vitaly. Right? <laughs> Too because many chicks in the bucket. There, there's two of them at least because he the only other time he's in the movie is when the plane is going down or when the plane is a problem, and that's the first number that he calls from the satellite phone. Oh, and the right. guy's like, I can't help you. I can't do anything and hangs right, up right. on him. Uh, interesting note in the according to IMDb, the voice of that character was Donald Sutherland. Oh, okay. Which I didn't pick, hmm. pick out at all because he's he's so yeah. soft spoken in it. Um, yeah, me neither. And I've seen this a couple of times. So, but uh, yeah, I just that was another one of those plot threads where it's like, oh yeah, that's right, that was a thing earlier on in the movie. You have to do those gymnastics <laughs> to remember that at the end. I wish that yeah. would have been more fleshed out. Yeah, for sure. Also, you got Donald Sutherland. Why not use Donald Sutherland? Like, holy cow! <laughs> what are we? You know, yeah, like I think they wanted they wanted to somehow kind of keep that shroud. Like again, though, even if you're not going to come right out and use him, have him in the movie more and somehow like yeah. flesh that plot line out more. Exactly. Because yeah. it, it's sort of a. Um, it's almost a deus ex machina at the end where it's like the U S government swoops in and lets him off the hook because right. reasons, right? That's, they don't give you <laughs> yeah. anything other than, Oh, well, yeah. Cause you know, I sometimes supply to the enemies of our enemies. It's like, okay, yeah. you know, yes, you do sell to everybody, but also come on. Like yeah. it just, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it wasn't earned. Come that, on. Yeah. Come on. No, that just, it wasn't earned, right? Yeah. And Darth, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, Darth, Darth Marcus in the chat is uh, quoting the line, and it was in every trailer for this movie. Can you get me the gun of Rambo? <laughs> every <laughs> single trailer I ever saw, because I remember the marketing coming up for this movie, and that was the one they showed in everything was, can you get me the gun of Rambo? Uh, which one? Yeah. Part one, two, or three? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and that's a great way of putting it. Not enough uh, meat on the bone, and all of the like moments that were supposed to be power play, they're supposed to be the uh, you know knocks out of the parks. None of those were earned. You know, it was just we were being told that this is a knockout of the park, and so you'd be like, oh, okay, good for good for Nick Cage yeah. for for mousing his way out of out of that trap. Yep, I I think I think really like another revision or two on the script and tighten it up would have pushed this over the edge and maybe even made it more financially successful. Um, and yeah. make it a, a better known movie because it's not really streaming anywhere. It's not one of those movies that a lot of people get a chance to see because it just did so poorly. Yeah. You know, a little touch ups to the script and maybe get some CGI effects a la Mandy. You got yourself a winner. <laughs> there you go. No, I think, but I think overall, I think it's worth seeing if you can find it. If you can get a copy of it somewhere, it's, I'm sure it's in like DVD bargain bins. Um, it may come to streaming at some point. I don't know. Um, but I think it's worth, I wouldn't go crazy out of your way to find it, but I think it's worth seeing if you get the chance. If it pops up on a Netflix or a, uh, Amazon Prime or something, go ahead and watch it because I think it's worth seeing and I think it has a good message. Even if that yeah. message is like evil is going to prevail no matter what, because that's that's I think the other part to it is there is no uplifting moment, there is no happy ending. It's this guy is terrible from the beginning and he's terrible at the end. It's just that now at the end he has nothing tying him to humanity, and he's he knows that he may only make it uh, to the next day, but now he has really nothing to lose. So yeah. Yeah, I agree. Despite the faults that we've been listing off, uh, you know, it's hard to get a message movie that's not ham-fisted mm-hmm. as it's like trying to throw the, the message down your throat. And this at at the bare minimum successfully kind of uses its story and dramatization to kind of mask the message to some extent. And uh, I think there's only a handful of movies that are able to pull that off. So uh yeah, I, I agree. I would I would at least recommend that you you watch it at once, just because it is uh, an attempt to like kind of have a story over the message. Yeah, and you know if you want to see something that can prove to you that Nicolas Cage can be a really good actor and carry a yes. movie, this would yes. definitely show you that. For sure. 
Um, so I played that one clip. I got a few others uh, I have to do because some of these right. are that same kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek humor. So the first one, um, okay, this is when he's, it's one of his voiceovers and he's talking about his time in Afghanistan. Uh, and this one was absolutely pandering to the crowd in 2005. I never sold to Osama bin Laden. Not on any moral grounds. Back then, he was always bouncing checks. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> that's Yuri in a nutshell right there. Like For if, sure. If Osama bin Laden wasn't bouncing checks, he would have been selling to him. But it he was, yeah. it's a funny line, and it fits especially for the time that it came out. So I, that one got a chuckle out of me. For sure. Uh, let's see, this one I just have marked crazy. He was more Jewish than most Jews. Which drove my Catholic mother crazy. Oh, that's him talking about his dad. Yeah, and she sets that, down that the really plate sweet. of shellfish. I can't. <laughs> I can't eat that. Yeah. Um, You're not even Jewish. <laughs> yeah. That was another thing I could have used more of. Like, For I know sure. the, the movie was already two hours long, so I don't really want to pad out the runtime too much more. But like, just more of the home life, I think, would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. Don't care. Oh, this one. Okay, this is when he first goes to see his uh, Uncle Dimitri, and they're talking about um, Uncle Dimitri's all worried about selling him uh, a bunch of the, the arms, and he's taking a shot of vodka and says this. The ones who know don't care anymore, and the ones who care don't know. I kind of like that. That was a good little poetic line. Okay, yeah. The ones who know don't care, and the ones who care don't know. They don't know. Um, all right. Oh, this was, if you don't know, you don't know. And how are you going to know if you don't know? (laughs) Right. But I know that you don't know. Do you know that I know that you don't know? Do you know that I know that you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, this here is like the, the, another one of those prime examples of Yuri as a character. This is when Interpol has shown up and they've, they're, they're holding on to him and the guy puts the, the gun kind of up to his face and he says, Oh yeah, the new MP5. And then uh, he says this. Would you like a silencer for that? <laughs> He's just <laughs> such a smart ass. Yeah. They did that really well. A smarmy, they had a really good smarmy Nick Cage throughout yeah. this whole movie. Yeah, he, re- he really was. Uh, let's see. What was this one? I like the hat. Oh, yeah. I like the hat. <laughs> I, love, I love little silly things like that. Yeah. Uh, the, the perks of being Jewish. You get a cool hat. Yeah. Um, oh, I always capture laughs whenever I can because okay. it's interesting to me how some actors can sound natural when they laugh and some really sound forced. Or if it's okay. an obviously forced laugh, like a this is um, the uh, African drug or African warlord laughing. <laughs> and I don't know why that just tickled me. There's just something <laughs> to that laugh that does something for me. It's just. <laughs> okay. I think it's right in the middle there where he's he's got like the huh, huh, and then there's a yeah. like there's just something weird in the middle. Listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like that. Yeah, there's that a little one. skip. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um oh, here's another one where uh this is early on. He's talking to Vitaly. And Vitaly's like, "I don't want to go. I just want to work in the kitchen." And uh he he's like, "I've had your borscht." And then he says, "I can eat in the restaurant for free and I still don't eat there." Ouch. Ouch, man, yeah. that's rough on your bro. Yeah, man. Jeez. Um, Jared Leto's going to die in this movie, don't yeah. you know? Yeah, you just sealed his fate. Yeah. Um, oh, this was him talking to Ethan Hawke's character. This was, uh, I almost kept this as the stinger um, for the end of the episode, but it wasn't. It ended up being something different. I like you, Jack. Well, maybe not, but I understand you. <laughs> This is great. That's again. That's that smarmy Nick Cage. He's like, I like you. Well, okay, no, I don't. But but I, I like that. That was yeah. another one. It just made me chuckle. Um, yeah, yeah. And then who? Do you remember where, what part that was? That was right when. That's when he's caught and they're in the interrogation room. Oh yeah, yeah. So like right. one of the first things he says to him. It's right before he goes into his whole description of how he's not going to spend a day in court. Yeah, because let me tell you how this is going to go. Yeah, because Ethan Hawke's just had like his big, you know. His character has had that that big, you know, you're going to get consecutive life sentences. You're going down for this type thing. And he just comes back with him, back to him with that. Uh, and then the first time we meet, um, what was it, Andre? Is that the character? Um, the African drug lord? 
Oh, was, uh, Andy, right? Yeah, Andy is what he calls him. And it's when he's explaining to him about the Glock and he's holding the, the revolver. And then the dude just shoots his like lieutenant or whoever the kid right. was that was sitting there. And it's yeah. the reaction to it is great. He just goes, well, now you're going to have to buy it. It's a used gun. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. I did write myself a note there too. That scene, uh, the, the only thing that like threw me on that scene was he grabs the barrel of the gun. And takes it away from him. Yeah, I caught that too. I, I'm not a gun guy at all, but I was like, I wouldn't hold a gun like that. Like, I wouldn't grab like the barrel of a gun. Uh, yeah. Right after it was shot, that's gonna be hot. Right. So yeah, that like there was that, and then the whole thing with the plane landing, and you know the fact that nobody died from all of it. Right. That. Yeah. Um, As though anyone can just run away from a plane, easy yeah. easy. Yeah, exactly. Or the plane can can go right over top of them and not touch them. Somehow the the propellers, the props don't hit anybody. They're not thrown from the the force of those props. Right. Um, and you could have a baby sitting right at the end of, of this trip. That was so stupid. That was. I, I got to say it. That was just dumb. Uh, and then and then right as the plane comes to arrest, somebody grabs a baby and runs away. Like, no. Yeah. Of I'm course. sorry. That that did take me out of things a little bit. I like the yeah. idea of it though, where then he's like, "I'm just going to give everything away to everybody," and then I have no merchandise. I did you know? like that too. I yeah. mean, it's a cool idea, but like, it would have been tough to get rid of that much merchandise that quickly. On top yeah. of they dismantled and took that entire plane away in one night. Yeah. Also, uh, kind of threw me. But again, the the idea is kind of cool, so I give it a little bit of leeway. Since since we're talking about that plane seat, can I just throw something in that sure. bugged me? Um, this is something, I'll do this really quick. Uh, something I catch in movies is uh, when they use the wrong culture, namely they're trying to present one culture, but they end up using something from India or mm. like Bollywood or something. And this movie, uh, so far in my catalog, I have Iron Man and uh, this movie, uh, Lord of War. So the plane lands, right? And now we're somewhere in Africa. And so they have this like scene where Ethan Hawke catches Nick Cage and uh, but he can't like tag him with anything so that he just cuffs him for 24 hours. Then they do a montage where they're showing uh, what you were just saying, all the people grabbing up all the guns and grabbing up all the parts from the plane. And they have a song playing and we're supposed to be in Africa, but the song that they use is actually a song from a Bollywood movie from the early 90s. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's just one of those things that just really bugs me. It's not that hard to find an African song to play, I don't think. But why would you play an Indian song when you're supposed to be in Africa? And it's it is from a Bollywood movie, too. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. I can understand if that song held, like, using um, Young Americans from David Bowie. And the movie right. had a, a pretty incredible soundtrack of, like, licensed songs. Sure. You had... Um, Barry Gordy, uh, written and, um, who, who performed it? The flying lizards performing money. That's what I want. Okay. Had, again, David Bowie's young Americans. Uh, right. they had, um, Clapton's cocaine, uh, right. very on the okay. nose, but you know, it, it fits even, um, hallelujah. hallelujah was in there. Uh, which whose version of hallelujah did they use? Uh, Jeff Buckley. It was it Buckley. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, they had Ride of the Valkyries in there somewhere from oh, Wagner. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't remember that at all. Um, and where's the other one? Oh, Fade Into You, uh, I thought was a nice use oh, yes. from Mazzy yeah, Star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, crap, where was, what's the song they used in the opening credits? Uh Oh, uh, uh, For What It's Worth. For by, What It's uh, Worth, Buffalo that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of the title of. I can never think of the title of that song. I think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, though you know the one that everyone knows. <laughs> yeah, it's just, everyone knows the song, but nine people, nine out of ten people, don't know the title of it. Uh, but that was yeah. a great use of for what it's worth. For sure. I don't know what song it was that they used for that scene, though. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it wasn't one that I recognized, so it would have been nice to have something more Af African themed to kind of fit the motif. As opposed yeah, to that, a Bollywood song. <laughs> that that song, uh, just for a shout out to that uh, Bollywood movie, that movie is Bombay. And uh, it's from a popular Bollywood composer who also did the music for Slumdog Millionaire, A.R. Raman. Okay, um, yeah. And so they used 
they used one of A.R. Rahman's compositions for the Bombay movie, which is also really good. It's also very long because it's a Bollywood movie, but it's one of the better, really long Bollywood movies called Bombay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I see it here in the list, the Mumbai theme tune. So, yeah, all right. Well, they could have used something different there. That's funny that... I. And see, that's one of the things I like about bringing different people on the show is like, I never would have known that. I had no idea because my my knowledge of, of uh, Bollywood is um, that that song was in a Bollywood film. That's about how right. much I know about Bollywood. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like I say, overall, I think this is a movie worth seeing, but I wouldn't kill myself or go out of my go out of my way to, to see it. You know what I mean? Right. Like give it a give it a watch if you know somebody that has it. Um if you if it ever ends up on a streaming service, um give it a watch because I think it has an interesting message um even if it is kind of dark and a little sad because there's yeah. no there's no real like resolution uh to anything, but I think it's a it's good performances um and it's a solid kind of B inching up to a B plus movie. Yeah, I agree, I agree with the earlier rating that you said, uh, like six out of ten. That's kind of where I'd put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good and worth seeing, but not a I have to see this right now. And like you, it's it's not one of those movies you got to see before you die type thing. Um, right. If you can, you know, if you can hack into uh, Travis's Plex <laughs> server and watch it, then then watch it. You know, there you go. There you go. <laughs> maybe maybe someday I'll do a a private Discord screening and we can watch Lord Ooh, of War. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but Rishi, you do a show. Um, yes. Why don't you tell people about that and where they can find it? Because you were gracious enough to come back on the, on my show here again, which I want to say thank you for because I love having you on. It's been tons of fun as always. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thanks, Travis, for having me back. Also, thank you because Travis invited me to talk about uh, Ghost Rider at first, and <laughs> I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. You're like, no, not that one. Okay, all right, we'll come up with something else. Don't worry. Um, Look, I can watch Bandit Cage, but um, it it's, can't be Ghost Rider. I just can't do Ghost Rider anymore. Well, at least it was but, the uh, first one and not Spirit of Vengeance. I actually tried to watch that oh. uh, the same day, and I fell asleep. Oh, so, okay. I forgot they made a sequel to that. Uh, oh, like the that. sequel is yeah. so much worse. Anyway, uh, your show. Tell yeah. people about your show. Yes. Yeah, so my show, I'm Rishi B, and my show is Healthy Schmelty the public health podcast that's helping people figure out what's healthy and what you should avoid, which I have determined is called schmelty, healthy schmelty, you see, and uh, talk about things going on in healthcare. And as you can imagine, there's really only one thing going on in healthcare right now, <laughs> but uh, talk, uh, hopefully give some depth about what's going on in the COVID-19 pandemic. And I also like to share some non-COVID news. If you could believe it, there's things going on in healthcare and in uh, uh, science that's not COVID related. So talk a little bit about the bottoms, but also some of the other aspects going on in healthcare. And you can find the show at a pot, uh, podcast. Uh, what do they call those things? Podcast. Oh, I always forget. But nice. anyways, you can catcher. find it at a podcast catcher nearest you or rishib.com. Yeah, and and thanks for having me on, Travis. Absolutely, it's a cool show too. If you haven't listened to it, um, there was an episode a while back where you talked about doctors and movies. That was pretty good. Um, movies and TV shows. I, I did enjoy that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wonder why. <laughs> I'm I not sure. I don't know. Oh, that could be. <laughs> no, but I think overall, it's an interesting show, and it's it's important stuff to talk about because you're right. There is more going on than just COVID uh, in the health and science world. So right. it's it's good to dive into that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and uh, for talking with me again. Uh, we'll do it again some sometime. I love having you on. This is what the th- second or third time? Uh, yeah, I think second. Maybe next time we could uh, do a Bollywood movie. Hey, you know what? Honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with that. We can. We could, okay. Uh, we should talk about that and find a Bollywood sure. movie to to kind of um, s- scratch that itch for me or scratch that off my list of like uh, now I can say I've seen Bollywood. Because yeah, I have nothing sure. against it. It's just not like it's not something that I've ever been exposed to. But sure. I'm I'm curious yeah. about it. So yeah, definitely. Um so yeah, that is that ends week four of Cage of Palooza twenty twenty. Now next week we're we're finishing up. We have one more Sunday of recording dates in August. So I'm gonna be watching Raising Arizona 
and my guest will be Joe Hood. And if you haven't seen Raising Arizona before, it is phenomenal. It is uh, early Coen Brothers, 1987, and also uh, early Nicolas Cage. Holly Hunter's in it. Um, John Goodman's in it. It's a lot of fun. So yeah. if, if you get a chance, watch that ahead of time and then come back next Sunday and uh, listen to Joe and I talk about it. And then uh, that will end Cage of Palooza of 2020, and it'll be another year before we watch any more Nick Cage movies. So mm. get a get a uh, 11 months of palate cleanse, and then we'll dive back into the <laughs> Nick Cage pool. I can um, watch Nick Cage for hours. <laughs> my, my favorite Nick Cage meme recently was the one, uh, and I posted it on Twitter a while back, but it was the picture of John Travolta, and someone said, oh, it's nice to see Nick Cage is wearing his COVID mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that killed me. Oh, man, that That's was so perfect. One. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, until next week and uh, and Raising Arizona, um, I just want to say to everybody, you know, get out and enjoy your movies. And while everything weird is going on, be excellent to each other. Thanks. Be excellent. Cheers. me yourself alexi you're the best you're the shit alexi you're the shit you're the shit you're the shit <laughs> diamond club hopes you have enjoyed this program <laughs>